Hello, and welcome to the Arizona Climate and Health Podcast. I'm Elisa Benitez, and my co-host, Meredith Brewer, and I are here to talk about the health impacts of climate change and the climate health advocacy happening in communities. Meredith and I are Master of Public Health students, and in our episodes, we talk with healthcare professionals and organizations who are actively working on climate change health effects. The podcast is a supplemental program to the Arizona Climate and Health Project, which is a grant-funded collaboration of faculty and students at the University of Arizona who are teaming up with community members to learn and teach about the interactions between climate and health. For today's episode, we are speaking with Natalie Shep. Natalie is the Senior Program Manager for Outreach and Education for the Pima County Department of Environmental Quality, where she leads efforts to improve air quality and environmental sustainability in Pima County. Over the last decade, she has worked extensively with young people and adults coordinating health and wellness education through the University of Arizona Cooperative Extension's 4-H programs, including the Tucson Village Farm. Natalie graduated from the University of Arizona with a bachelor's in, si bachelor's in science in environmental sciences and a master's degree in public health. In addition to her work at Pima County, she has been with the Community Gardens of Tucson since 2009, where she started the Highland Vista Garden in her neighborhood park. She held a position of site coordinator for 10 years and then joined the Community Garden of Tucson board in 2021 in January. Thank you, Natalie, for being here today. We've heard a lot of great things about you from our supervisors and our team members, and we're very excited to talk to you about the work you've been doing. So tell us more about yourself, your background in environmental health, and what kind of led you down this path? You know, we saw that you pursued a BS in environmental sciences and then public health, like kind of just tell us your journey. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm, um, I'm excited to be here to speak with you. I actually discovered my interest in environmental science at pretty young age. I, um, my first memory of really making that connection to um, my passion for environmental science was in high school. And I uh, joined an after school club that I still to this day think has the best acronym I've heard, which is SHADOW, which stood for Students Helping Against the Destruction of Our World. And so um, that's where I really started to learn about kind of the impact that humans have on the environment and then how that impact ultimately um, is you know, harmful to, to humans and animals and, and life on earth. So um, I, I found that passion really young and, um, and knew that I wanted to study environmental science. Um, so this was back in the mid nineties. And um, at that time, uh, University of Arizona was the only place that had an environmental science degree. So uh, I was living up in Phoenix at the time. And so I chose to go to the University of Arizona for that reason. And um, that's basically how I started down this path. Well, you're very lucky that you found your path so early on. Yes, <laughs> I still remember <laughs> I didn't find my interest in public health until my junior year of my undergraduate program. And even then, I was still interested in something else. And I was like, well, I'll just kind of take public health classes like just because like just to keep studying right and I was like oh wait I actually really kind of like this and but you know public health is a broad thing so we're still 
still trying to figure that part out. So you're mm-hmm. very lucky there. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> yeah. So how did you get involved with Community Gardens of Tucson and Pima County Department of Environmental Quality? Like what kind of work do you do? If you could speak a little bit sure. about the work you do with both of them. So I, I work at the Pima County Department of Environmental Quality or PDEQ. It's such a long name. Um, actually, it's my second time working there. My senior year in my bachelor's program, uh, I was required to do an internship and um, I interned a summer for a summer at PDEQ and um, it actually had a profound impact on my life. I ended up meeting my husband in that, in that department um, and, um, and I ultimately got hired on right after graduation. So um, that was really great that I was able to, you know, I wasn't getting paid for my internship, but right after I graduated in December, I was able to to, um, get started as an employee and I did air quality inspections. Um, We have permits that we issue for different facilities that that pollute uh, air pollution. And so I was the inspector and that allowed me at a very young age to, learn about, well, one, Pima County. I went all over Pima County and learned about um, a lot of different uh, processes, how things were made, you know, where we get our electricity, what's going on with the mines. So it was a really, really good foundation for a first job in environmental science. Um, and then I ended up going to um, the Regional Transportation Authority, the Pima Association of Governments, and I got into the transportation side of air quality. So that was really good experience um, there. And then um, uh, years later, I um, had children and it was at that time that I decided I wanted to stop working and I shifted my focus to um, gardening and at that time I was really interested in trying to start a garden in my backyard and uh, I didn't succeed at that because I had too much shade so I had recently heard about um, Community Gardens of Tucson which is a nonprofit organization that's now existed for over 30 years in Tucson Um, And I worked with them to start a community garden, the Highland Vista community garden in my neighborhood. And I really found a lot of joy in gardening and being outdoors and especially with my small children. It was really great to have that experience with them. And I started to get into nutrition and healthy eating. Um, And then that's what led me to um, the Tucson Village Farm because I was ultimately volunteering there during that time. And then I got hired on there as well. So both of my jobs were starting with volunteering um, and then moving into to paid employment. And at this point in time, I'm still involved with the Community Gardens of Tucson. I'm on the board of directors, which is quite a different role than site coordinator. Um, but it, it has also given me a lot of really great experience in the nonprofit world. And um, I'm really enjoying doing both of those things. So it's, I'm now at the point where I'm in the, in the world of environmental science and air quality and education outreach, but also still in the world of um, sustainable agriculture and food production. Honestly, I'm shocked to hear that you have such a shaded spot in Tucson, Arizona, which gets 360 days of sun and you have an overly shaded spot. It's like pros and cons, right? Like everybody wants shade, but you're like, I'm trying to grow a garden here and I can't, there's too much sun. I do live in an older neighborhood, so we have some pretty big trees. So can't complain about that either. It's nice to have the shaded backyard and the community garden. And then I found that I actually really like gardening in a community garden because it's a totally different experience because then I have that community aspect 
of it. We share produce, we learn from each other. Um, we come together in that space, which I've found is actually really, really great. And I, I really like gardening together with other people. And this is a side question. I'm just kind of curious how community gardens function. What, how do they sustain? So are you always actively working on it? Are you just gauging volunteers in your community um, mm -hmm. for it to stay up? How, um, how do you operate it? So the um, community gardens of Tucson actually has 17 different locations, different gardens throughout Tucson. And um, those who are interested in gardening um, basically commit in six month blocks and we charge $22 a month. Um, and that covers the, the area for growing. It's about 60 square feet, uh, the water, the tools and the education. And we also offer um, plot fee assistance for those who qualify um, because it's really important that we have, um, the, you know, we offer the opportunity for everybody regardless of income to be able to garden with us. So um, it's, it's a really, really great organization because we work with other nonprofits and even, you know, local governments in some of the work that we do. And then we uh, partner with other organizations to provide education and stuff too. So um, it's actually for those who, you know, are listening and living in Tucson, I would encourage you to look at our website, communitygardensoftucson.org. You can see where the gardens are located. And then you, if you're interested in, in joining, then you can reach out to us. Thank you for explaining that a little bit more. I think we have um, in our fellowship that Lisa and I are part of, I think we have some people who um, are doing their fellowship with community gardens. So I've only heard bits and pieces, but I really like uh, the work that you guys are doing and trying to make it accessible for people as well. Um, so what challenges would you say that you faced, you know, in your journey of being active in climate health work um, in environmental sciences, uh, what kind of challenges do you think that you faced um, in that regard? Well, one of the things that I did actually kind of in between what I was describing was another volunteer position is I, um, uh, along with several other people, um, developed a, a community um, event that lasted for four years in a row. It was called Solar Rock. And we um, invited, we actually, it was a solar powered concert at Himmel Park and we had speakers and we had music and it was all solar powered. We had different um, folks who were, you know, in the solar industry as well as other um, industries related to sustainability. And that was a really great opportunity to connect again with the community, but really the focus of that um, of that event was, uh, it was a call to action. Um, and that call to action was to um, decrease um, carbon emissions 80% by 2050. And that actually was um, the first year for that was in 2007, I believe. And so um, I would say as far as challenges go, um, it's, really a lack of political will <laughs> because so much of what needs to be done is kind of at that policy level or uh, that level where things get funded so that those kinds of changes can happen. So I think that it's been really difficult to kind of up until recently. So back then we weren't seeing the, the climate change issues that we're seeing now. We weren't seeing the dramatic uh, wildfires and flooding. And at this point in time, just in that short period of time between 2007 and now, you know, 
it's not that it hasn't been that long, but we've seen some pretty dramatic changes. And it's those dramatic changes that I think are what is, you know, kind of getting us, moving us forward. It's, I find that it's kind of sad that we've had to get to that point where we actually see it in order to believe it and take action, take significant action. But, you know, really what we need to do is, is, um, it's very difficult. I mean, it's literally changing like very large systems and how uh, that have been in place since the beginning of the industrial revolution. So um, it's not an easy task. Um, It wasn't an easy task to convince folks when it wasn't really all that obvious. And now it's um, that's less of an issue, but now it's more really kind of getting to that point where we have that political will to actually make those dramatic changes that we need to make. But I would do, I do say that I feel very hopeful. Um, I think we do have to have hope in order to, to move forward. And um, we've solved very big problems before. And uh, America is often on the forefront of those solutions. And I feel that, um, that we will get there. And I'm really, really hopeful after things like the Inflation Reduction Act have, have been passed. And now there are you know, large amounts of money going toward trying to um, provide incentives and um, develop programs and you know, expand our EV charging throughout the country and those types of things. So. I would say just in a really short period of time, we've seen some dramatic improvements. Um, so I, I think that would that, that's definitely the, the biggest challenge. Um, I also find in, in government, um, and this is probably in every uh, institution, but um, there's kind of a lack of coordination. And a lot of times people are working in silos. That can actually be within the same local government that happens as well as within government. So um, I really work hard to try to collaborate as much as possible because there's a lot of people working on very similar things. And when we work together, we work more efficiently. Um, And I think that, um, you know, we kind of just need to change that business as usual mentality and really look to, um, to kind of incorporate considerations around climate change in everything we do. It's not just like these certain people are focusing on climate change. I don't think it's going to work that way. I think it's going to be everybody really making considerations in whatever work they do and um, doing it collectively, whether that be in in the business world or in education or in the, um, you know, government world. So um, I think we'll get there. And I, and like I said, I feel, I feel very hopeful just in, in the recent years with the changes that we've seen. Awesome. I love to hear the positivity around it. Cause I know climate change can be a bit of a, a gloomy subject sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it's, yes. I completely agree with what you said. And I like to say that to people too. They're like, well, we're all just going to die from it. And I'm like, well, <laughs> not necessarily like bigger problem like you know big problems come up all the time and we're adaptable we're an adaptable species you know we're not just gonna let ourselves get (laughs) killed off right Mm -hmm. like we're gonna find a a solution to this and you know the ups one of the upsides of this is that when we do find these solutions because oftentimes carbon emissions are waste well they are waste they're always waste Mm -hmm. um that we we save money so in whatever, like you save electricity, you save gasoline, you know, you're saving money. So it's in, there's economic benefits to this too. And then I think we're seeing that in the job fields as well, where it was a little tough for people to realize that we can shift 
the job market to a new industry that's focused on the solution rather than contributing to the problem. And so I think when you can actually tie in the economic piece to it, it's, it's easier for everybody to kind of get on board. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, we just got solar panels here at our house and we have, it's an older kind of Tucson type home. So it has a flat roof. So we're going to get a lot of, a lot of good energy. Yeah, those will pay for themselves in just exactly. a few years. They, they do. Yeah, they <laughs> yeah. 100% do. But awesome. Well, so looking on more of an individual level, is there anybody that you feel in your life has like a person who's really supported you or just, you know, what kind of keeps you personally motivated when you're working through these large challenges, both at work and in other activities that you do outside of work? I don't know if I can say there's any one person that really stands out in my mind as kind of my mentor in this um, beyond, you know, um, the larger figures that we see, the Greta's of the world. Um, but I think my educational experience has really provided me with the foundation that I have needed in order to get into this work. Um, you know, I've had to kind of wiggle my way into this topic because there's no regulatory requirements, even in the work that I do now in the air quality field. So what I do now is really focused on um, air pollution, which is uh, around the criteria pollutants. And those, those are the pollutants that have been um, regulated for many years in the Clean Air Act. So things like ground level ozone and oxides of nitrogen and particulate matter. Um, and many of those are results of you know, driving or uh, power production industries and things like that. And so even now, my job isn't really uh, a climate change related job because I'm in a regulatory world and the regulatory world at this moment in time is greenhouse gases are not within that. You know, it's, it's going to be really, really difficult for like, the Clean Air Act to be amended so that um, greenhouse gases can be regulated in the same way. So um, I've basically, um, in, in my role as an outreach and education manager, really just um, taken kind of taken it upon myself to um, ensure that the messaging that we have, which is off, uh, for my program, I administer the clean air program. And the focus of that is trying to get people to drive less so that we can reduce air pollution but the same, it's the same message for climate change. So basically I'm just um, kind of chosen in that messaging to not just focus on air pollution, but air pollution and carbon pollution. Um, they, are, they are two different, and you know, when you're talking about the chemistry, they are different, but the processes that create air pollution and carbon pollution are really the same. So, um, so that's just something that I think is really important. I think it's important that we educate the public about climate change. I think that when we target, especially young people, that um, that they're really, really interested in, in that particular topic and trying to help um, resolve it and do what they can to reduce their own footprint. Um, so, I mean, there's not even anybody in my work now who's saying you have to be focused on climate change. You know, I, I take it upon myself to do that and to make sure that that is incorporated into the outreach messaging. Um, and so, you know, that may change now, like I mentioned, this new funding is coming out and there will be grants and things like that, that we could, we could try to um, go for that would then 
give us kind of funding to really put more emphasis on climate change as an outreach and education issue. But at this point in time, um, you know, there isn't any, <laughs> there isn't any mandate for me to be doing that. So um, yeah, I, I do think though, as far as kind of getting back to your original question that it's really been what I've learned uh, in school and through my uh, work experience that has really uh, impacted me a lot. And um, I think that, that actually the University of Arizona gave me a really solid foundation in that and uh, by studying environmental science. And, um, and then, you know, 20 years later, I got my degree in public health. And so that's really allowed me to um, put my interests together and, and kind of you know, when I first actually uh, decided that I wanted to study environmental science, I that those words environmental health were really called out to me even back then. But environmental health is actually typically kind of focused on more like toxicology and those types of things. And I wasn't so interested in that. But what I'm really, really interested in is kind of that how um, the the processes that basically generate these um, air pollutants and carbon emissions, how that affects humans. And so it's been really awesome to be able to get um, both of those degrees and be able to kind of combine them. And I think it's given me a really, really good foundation for the work that I'm doing now. Yeah, I love that you bring up air pollution. That's um, a direction that the Arizona Climate and Health Initiative is trying to bring education awareness to. That's the next steps um, that that's what they're working on right now. Our current curriculum or CME for um, physicians and for med students involves heat related illness, but mm -hmm. that's not the only climate change driven uh, health impact. So that's another route that um, our supervisors are going down um, to creating more education opportunities for physicians. Um, so that way there's another side of bringing that education component to it. And it's funny when you're talking about like people are siloed working, but it sounds like there are barriers that kind of keep people siloed. Like your mm -hmm. initiative to take on the climate change aspect or just having a more holistic view, you know, that's a personal initiative that you're taking on. And so it kind of just represents that within work, like you might be getting siloed too, but taking that initiative yourself um, really does a lot of strides. And that's why we're doing this podcast is to highlight the people who do take the initiative on themselves. And which kind of leads me to my next question. Um, you had mentioned trying to target youth and to get them motivated to participate in some way. So if you were to give advice or guidance to someone who might be interested in um, environmental sciences, climate change, the health impacts of all of that said, um, where would you direct them? How would you help them get started if they have some interest in that those areas? Well, first I would say that um, to recognize the complexity of the issues. Oftentimes I think people really try to simplify things, turn them into a black and white. This is all shades of gray. Um, it's really complex. So just kind of recognizing that we don't have all the answers and that uh, there's still a lot left to be learned and there's plenty of opportunities to be that one of those people who's learning it and um, kind of contributing to, to figuring out what those solutions are. Um, I'd say um, take time to learn about the history of the problems and the systemic issues that have proliferated, 
you know, it's since the beginning of, uh, like I said, the industrial revolution is when all of this started. Um, so really kind of learning about kind of the, all of that history, I think could be really helpful to young people. Um, and then bite-sized pieces and uh, not thinking like, I'm going to solve this for the world. So really acting locally. And that's why I actually really enjoy working in local government, because that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where the action actually happens. And so we, you know, I'm not saying it doesn't happen at the federal level. Obviously we have large um, legislation and stuff that's going to um, really help local governments do better work in the space. Um, but um, trying to act locally is, and it might be, it might seem like, you know, the actions that you can take are really small, but ultimately, you know, we kind of learn in public health uh, with behavior change, people do what people do. So the more that you do it and the more that you can inspire uh, others to do it and just kind of like, I was one of those folks who like had cisterns and solar panels and electric car, like before everybody else. And I was just kind of an oddball and here I am. And now a bunch more people have it. And so don't be afraid to be that person that, that um, maybe takes that step and takes that initiative because I think ultimately you can inspire others and they can have a pretty profound impact. Um, I'd also say that if you're really looking at like kind of the problems that, um, following the money <laughs> is often where the root is. So um, you can do that just kind of by learning about the history and like it, it is definitely an economic uh, angle that's kind of contributed to this. And so looking at that and then looking at actions now, there's a lot of greenwashing out there. So if you've got folks who are talking a lot, like you really have to kind of look at what, what kind of money are you putting into actually getting to that solution and if, and if it's none, it's just a plan, um, then it doesn't really mean much. You're not gonna be able to do much without actually putting resources into making those changes. So um, that would be another bit of advice I'd have. Um, and then one thing I've learned as an educator is that um, you know, education is great, but it doesn't always lead to action. Just because somebody knows, there's a lot of people who believe in climate change, but it doesn't mean that they're doing anything about it, right? So um, I think we need to create the conditions for people to make the changes in their daily life. And so that again is on that kind of deeper level. So we want people to get out of their cars and bike. Well, we gotta make sure that they don't die when they're on the roads. We need to make sure that there's the appropriate uh, infrastructure in place to help them do that. And I'm really focused on those types of things which are really difficult and um, slow, very slow. So um, you have to be patient and nothing's gonna happen overnight. And in fact, you're not gonna see any like, um, it's not gonna be like, oh, we got this problem solved. You know, it, it will never be that way. It will be a work in progress for the rest of our lives. Um, so uh, you kind of have to face that if you really get into this world that you're, you're not going to ever get to an actual end point where you feel like satisfied. <laughs> um, so, and I, I do think that this is still not a, uh, as high of a priority of an issue for governments as it should be. So we have a really long way to go and, um, it's going to take young people with passion around this topic um, to change it. I don't think um, older folks who, you know, maybe they're not going to live as long, not going to see those as many of those changes. Um, they're not going to be as easy to convince. So it really is going to be up to younger people. Unfortunately, the older people and myself included in that, um, 
yeah, we've caused the problem. We've contributed to the problem, but um, the solutions are going to come from the younger people. And so uh, hopefully we can get a lot of young people to study things like environmental science and public health. So, so we can um, get, get to these solutions a little bit faster. Go public health. Go public health. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I definitely agree to combine it with the environmental sciences as well. Like it really is all connected. And I think that's one thing that makes public health so special is it it just connects into so much. But I a hundred percent stand behind you when you talk about the patients, because anything requiring like behavior change, human change, policy change, like those things take forever ever you can work on the same thing for five ten years and like and see minuscule results so it really is you know just sticking to it and believing in what you're doing and pushing forward but to, absolutely to bring it back to you for our last question we want to wanted to ask you know what are some next steps that you're looking at what's some anything you're working on whether it's with community gardens of tucson or with your day job but something that you're excited about that's coming up that's related to you know all of this conversation environmental sciences and climate change and health work health education you've talked about as well Mm -hmm. what do you have coming up the thing that I'm most excited about is um, a program that I helped launch after I started in this job a little over a year and a half ago. It's called Youth for Blue Skies. So um, when I started in the job, I, you know, I had a lot of respect for how the program had been run. There had been a lot of education, really good educational programs, but many of them were either focused on the younger kids, like the elementary age kids, and kind of teaching them about sustainability concepts or adults trying to get them to convince them to use alternate modes of transportation, get out of their cars and things like that. So that I felt like the one audience that we were missing was in my mind, the most important one was the teenagers. <laughs> um, and I felt like they were really important for a couple of reasons. One, um, they were the ones who were just, you know, getting their driver's licenses and making those decisions about how they'll get around. Um, and because the Clean Air Program is focused so much on transportation and, and um, trying to encourage alternate modes, I felt like that was really important that we needed to try to um, work with that age group. So I um, started a program called Youth for Blue Skies, and I, um, I'm collaborating with a local nonprofit called Ironwood Tree Experience. They've been around for almost 18 years now, educating kids on all sorts of different ecological topics and experiential education settings. So um, we just started our second cohort, um, and we have the first cohort from last year is now mentoring the new cohort, which is awesome, which um, I love that concept of youth teaching youth and inspiring other youth. Um, and so I'm really excited to get that started. And um, basically, it's an internship for these young people, and they focus on topics around um, climate change, air pollution, and environmental justice. And then they end up doing projects, and they do get paid a stipend at the end. Um, and ultimately, um, I really want to just encourage them to be the voices for the change. And, um, and I, I do believe that youth voice is 
um, actually even more powerful than adult voice. Oftentimes, you know, if you go to a public meeting and you hear an adult, it's one adult after another, and then you get the kid in there and everybody's like clap, you know, and super excited that a kid is like motivated to, to be out there trying to advocate for something they believe in. And so I think that youth voice is really, really powerful. And that's um, what I'm trying to kind of help facilitate through the Youth for Blue Skies program. So that's definitely what I'm most excited about. Um, I'm also excited about my, you know, my work with the Community Gardens of Tucson. Um, it's challenging in a nonprofit environment, but one of the things that I'm um, personally most concerned about as it relates to climate change is how, how it will affect our food production. And we see food prices going up. Um, I personally believe we're not going to see them go down. And that's because I don't believe it's just related to this, this inflation that we've got going on right now. I also think it's related to, to climate change and it's just going to be, uh, and the water issues that we have associated with that. Um, and you can see, if you read about what's going on around the world, that there are refugee crises everywhere. And oftentimes the root of those is related to the fact that they need to leave because they no longer can um, do subsistence farming as they have done for generations. So um, I think that the food and water piece is going to be really, really critical. And so to be part of an organization that helps facilitate education and community food production, um, local food production, you know, not only does that build community, but it's also decreasing emissions by just getting that you know, food doesn't need to be transported by using sustainable practices. Um, and, you know, we, we definitely promote methods of saving water, like mulching and drip irrigation and things along those lines. So it's really nice to, to be a part of an organization like that, that um, ultimately, you know, if we have more dramatic issues around food, then we've got this resource of this, this nonprofit where people can go and, and um, grow healthy, you know, food all on their own. So, yeah, that's what I'm most excited about. Both of those are so amazing, and that's awesome. Both the, the gardening and the program with the youth. Meredith and I have a special place in our heart for the youth as well, so always love to hear programs involving them. But Natalie, thank you again for meeting with us today. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to talk to us about both the Community Gardens of Tucson and all the work that you're doing in Pima County as well. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Yeah, of course. So happy to have you. So for all our listeners out there, if you're interested in learning more about Community Gardens of Tucson or any other resources that were mentioned in the podcast, you can find that information in the show notes from today. You can also find the Arizona Climate and Health Project website link and our social media accounts there. Make sure to follow us wherever your podcasts and social media are so you can stay up to date with the podcast and the project. Additionally, any and all support and feedback to the podcast is so appreciated. So please share this podcast with your friends, coworkers, family, and just anyone who you think might be interested. And if you know a person or an organization that is making positive impacts towards addressing the health impacts of climate change, please let us know. Again, we are Meredith and Elisa, and thank you for listening to the Arizona Climate and Health Podcast. <music>